0: Tonight's reading from Deuteronomy has always struck me as God playing something of a dirty trick on his closest follower, on Moses. After having obeyed God at great personal cost and reputation throughout his time in Egypt and even more during his time in exile, God brings him to the very edge of the promised land and won't let him in. It might have been something to let Moses perish somewhere else, away from his long dream for homeland. But no, he's at the very edge. He can literally smell the land of milk and honey, but he's forbidden to enter. And then the opening of tonight's psalm seems like a taunt, almost directed toward Moses. Be joyful in God, all you lands. Sing the glory of his name. Sing the glory of his praise. The joyful lands includes, most especially, the promised land. They are no doubt centered on that Amazing place. And Moses would be anything but joyful. In fact, a few verses earlier, he all but pleaded with God to let him enter. Chapter 3, Moses exclaims to God, I pray, let me cross over and, and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains in Lebanon. But God says no. But the more I sat with this lesson, the more it revealed itself not as a giant haunting of Moses by God, but instead as a complete act of obedience on Moses' part to God's will. He knows it is God's will that Joshua lead the Israelites across the Jordan. He himself was there when Joshua was elevated to be his successor. He laid hands. This remarkable act of obedience was Moses' ultimate sacrifice to God after a life of serving God. Instead of taunting Moses with that final look at the promised land, I think God kind of honors Moses with that view. It's a comforting, comforting pastoral image just before Moses passes. And it reminds me of Jesus' cry on the cross. And he says, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? but followed shortly after with an admission that God's will be done. A final majestic act of obedience that forever changed history. Today's Gospel reading from Matthew also deals with obedience and the consequences of disobedience. And the first thing that strikes me is how non-hierarchical the process is. We're not told to speak to the rector or the bishop, but rather the offended one should go in private to the offender. If they can work things out, all the better. Now it strikes me the offended one is the one to take the lead in raising the issue. And in some ways it makes total sense. How often does the offender live in blissful ignorance of his or her offense? Even yesterday in his resignation speech, or quote, resignation speech, Governor Andrew Andrew Cuomo kind of apologized when he said something in rough rough quote, in my mind, I never crossed the line with these women. It's just that the line has moved so much that I didn't realize I crossed it. Think about that for a while. Now talk about saying you're sorry without actually saying you're sorry, but it underscores the ignorance that an offender, in this case a serial offender like Cuomo, can rest in despite his actions. A kind of blissful ignorance. He doesn't realize how much pain he's caused. It takes the offended party or parties in this case to make the offender realize the error of his ways. Probably, possibly. Think whatever you will about the Me Too movement. It's definitely helped move the line in a way that I think is better for all humankind. Now in Matthew, if the offended and offensive parties can't come to agreement, they bring a couple of other members of the church to serve as witnesses and kind of listen to them. And if the offender still denies the charge, they go in front of the entire congregation. Now, the result is excommunication of a very abrupt and strict and kind of scary way. The offender ceases to exist. Matthew's gospel underscores a very big divide between the community of church that exists for him and our individualistic approach to church today. See, we see our responsibility for our sins as a largely private matter between God and us. Whereas Matthew describes a church community where everyone is literally their brother's keeper. It's everyone's responsibility to prevent the marginalized member from straying, or if they do stray, to do whatever they can to bring them back. It's easy to see how this could become like a kind of hell. You'd have these modern-day Karens and Chads nosing into our business, and especially the private stuff like sex and money and alcohol and all that stuff and then putting us in front of the entire congregation with our heads held in shame. But I think that also reflects our inherent unwillingness to let go of our illusion of independence and mutuality. We deny that we are always in community, always, always. And think about it. We recite our Father in heaven in the privacy of our own home. Matthew's community is one of deep, transcendent love, and it's something we have so little familiarity with, especially today when wearing a mask can be grounds for an argument or even worse. We struggle with what a truly beloved community, what a radically loving community would feel like. I don't know about you, but I'd love to know a place where folks love me so much that the very thought of me not being there would cause them such pain. The kind of pain the Israelites felt for Moses after his death. And to prevent my leaving, they would do all they could, the most radical acts, to keep me in community with them. If and when I slipped, because we all slip sometimes, they'd be there to quietly, in private, talk me back and to welcome me back to the fold. St. Peter's is, above all, a place of radical love. We are the kind of place that welcomes back those we've lost, welcomes those who've been rejected elsewhere, welcome those who don't fit in. And it strikes me as a perfect place to start to practice Matthew's vision of beloved community. And the reading ends with Jesus' wonderful words, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. I think it's a perfect summation of our of these small, intimate Wednesday night gatherings. We gather as two, maybe three, four if we're lucky. But we gather. And we rest assured that Christ is here. It's so beautiful. Amen.